Hello everyone, Patrick here. Um, before we get into the interview with Dr. Lau, I just have to let you know that uh, in my excitement to talk with Dr. Lau, I of course did the one thing that you're not supposed to do when recording a podcast, and that's not hit the record button. So uh, kind of lost the first uh, couple questions uh, about his background um, uh, that I was asking him. And so uh, when the interview starts it's uh just me going into the question of how he got into uh, creation uh, research and he's about uh a little bit into his answer so i just wanted to let you know that's what to expect and uh apologize for um any uh, uh missed information and uh, i continue to try and do better uh each episode so thank you and enjoy the interview Hello and welcome to Cave of the Cross Apologetics. I'm Patrick. Sadly, today we're not uh, joined by Tony, which is too bad because we're joined by uh, a person who uh, has been influential in, in our relationship of, of kind of starting this group that uh, that we've put together and also for this podcast. And uh, he is uh, Dr. Jason Lyle, and uh, we welcome to the show. And Dr. Lyle, uh, let me just introduce you at first. Uh, Dr. Jason Lyle holds the Bachelor of Science degree in both physics and astronomy from Ohio Wesleyan University, a master's and PhD in astrophysics from the University of Colorado in Boulder. He used the SOHO spacecraft to analyze the surface of the sun and has made a number of interesting discoveries, including the detection of giant cell boundaries. So those who think that creation scientists don't add anything to the field of science, there you go. As a creation scientist, Dr. Lyle has worked for Answers in Genesis, which we have uh, probably know him mostly from, uh, the Creation Museum, and the Institute uh, for, Christian, uh, for Creation Research. He is currently the director, owner, founder of the Biblical Science Institute, which exists to help you rationally defend the Christian worldview against those who claim that the Bible is unscientific. He speaks on a broad range of topics, from in-depth presentation of distant starlight, Einstein's relativity, and the problem problems with the Big Bang, and of course, fractals, which uh, I highly recommend getting uh, Dr. Lyle's uh, DVD or Blu-ray on his website of uh, a fractal presentation. It's uh, it's amazing, and um, it, uh, Dr. James White uh, recommended it, and so uh, I had to check it out. He is, of course, author of several books, including Taking Back Astronomy, The Stargazer's Guide to the Night Sky, which is just a phenomenal book uh, for all the color, full-colored photos. It's great. Uh, Discerning Truth, Understanding Genesis, uh, one of our favorites, The Ultimate Proof for Creation, and Keeping Faith in an Age of Reason, Refuting Alleged Bible Contradictions, which we did on this show. So, Dr. Lyle, thank you for joining us. Then going into creation science research, what, what kind of drew you into that capacity? Because I'm sure, and I've, uh, you know, I've seen your uh, uh, direction with uh, some of the planetarium stuff that uh, I think used to be at... Uh, at the AIG, and uh, they're just amazing. You could kind of, uh, you know, take the the secular route, and I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, but, but why particularly divert to, to this this uh, field? What what kind of drew you into to this? I'm grateful for my experiences at that school. A lot of good people there, but it is a, it is a secular school, and I didn't feel the freedom to teach students what I wanted to teach them. I could teach them about the mechanics of the universe, but not about the creator of the universe. And, and that was very frustrating to me. I wanted to teach, I wanted to share with them all this evidence for creation, right? And so uh, that's really what pushed me into going into full-time ministry where I can teach science, but I can teach it from a truly Christian point of view. Hmm. Great. And then kind of your foundational belief uh, that, that you um, 
present facts through uh, is is what we've come to know and read in uh, things like ultimate proof for creation, um, which uh, is a term presuppositionalism. Did did you kind of discover that, or was was that taught to you early? Um, you know, did did you uh, happen upon the Bonson Stein debate and uh, it blew your mind, or or uh, did you uh, come about it because uh, literally, uh, honestly, until I sat down with Tony and we we cracked open your book, I I never it never had been a subject in in church, and I'm a relatively late comer in life, but um, it it just seems to be like uh, one of those things like. Um, reform theology, where uh, if you're not in that particular line of people that talk about those things, you, it just kind of blows past you. Uh, yeah, it, it, it came about, well, the, the uh, starts of it were kind of gradual because I was introduced to the Answers in Genesis ministry, and they, they do take a, a presuppositional approach, but it's, it's kind of mild. They don't advertise it as, as such. Um, but that, that got me thinking. I, I appreciated the fact that they never tried to present evidence as superior to the Word of God. I thought, well, yeah, that's that's you know that's right. God, the Word of God is that's that's the final standard. I knew that in my heart, but I hadn't really um, thought through the nuances of how how then do you defend the faith? How do you make an argument for the Bible uh, without it being uh, obviously circular, or begging the question, things of that nature? Uh, what really um, got me thinking presuppositionally it was is the Bonsenstein debate. Yeah. Uh, undoubtedly, that was it. Um, a, a friend of mine shared that with me. And when I listened to Greg Bonson and the way that he defended the faith, um, I was amazed because it, it was, it was, he was a brilliant man. There's no doubt about that. He's one of the most brilliant uh, apologists of the 20th century, in my opinion. He's, of course, he's with the Lord now. And I never met him in person. But um, I regret that, that our lives overlap, but I never met him. Yeah. In any case, I, I heard that debate and I was impressed by the way that Bonson res- responded to Stein because it was intellectual, but it was also absolutely biblical. Everything mm-hmm. he said was, was absolutely biblical yeah. and unapologetically biblical because in some debates people will sort of, oh, well, you know, we, we can leave the Bible out of it because, you know, I don't want to give off the impression that I'm religious. And, and Bonson was like, well, of course I'm religious and you should be too. And it's irrational not to be, to, to, to hold to the Christian religion in particular. Right. And I, I appreciated the boldness with which he spoke, the clarity, the rationality. As I listened to that debate, I kept thinking to myself, this man argues the way Jesus did. And I, and I said, I'm going to learn to do that. And so I listened to that debate. I don't know how many times yeah. I read, then I read Bonson's book, Always Ready, which is a good book. But it was really his um, his teachings on the topic. Then, after listening to that debate and, I, and, and determining in my heart that I was going to learn to think that way because because it's biblical and and it's and it's effective, um, I started getting everything I could. But fortunately, praise God, most of Bonson's lectures were recorded. Yeah, right. And you can get them from the Covenant Media Foundation. And I, I think I'm you know the Covenant Media Foundation they, they like me because I'm putting all their kids through college with uh, <laughs> purchases and shoutouts. Yes. And and yeah and and sermon. Uh, sermons and the like. So I got everything I could by Bonson. And Bonson, of course, he, he was he was creationist, a biblical creationist like myself, but he's not a scientist. He didn't specialize in that. He specialized mm-hmm. in philosophy and and he's an ordained minister. And it occurred to me that I could take that approach and apply it specifically to creation science. And, and when, this was when I was at Answers in Genesis. And I thought, boy, every creationist needs to hear about this. Yeah. And so the point of writing the book, The Ultimate Proof of Creation, was to take that presuppositional approach and show how it applies specifically to the creation-evolution debate. Of course, you can use it on anything that's foundational to the Christian worldview, because presuppositionalism defends the Christian worldview as a way 
as a complete system of thought. And that's what I took away from the Bonson Stein debate. That was what really cemented me in that uh, in that camp. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think even reading uh, and I forget which uh, Schaefer book it was, but he was talking. He was going in talking about uh, music and art and uh, kind of these uh, liberal liberal studies. And uh, he made a, an excellent excellent case that even within the worldview of these artists, that they still um, hold to a a, 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 a Christian foundationalism that their own worldview might have denied. Uh, uh, for example, uh, uh, Picasso drawing uh, you know, his cubism and stuff like that. But yet when he draws his wife, he doesn't actually see the world in this cubist form. He draws his wife you know, traditionally, because that's that's the most beautiful thing that he's seen. And he wanted to, to articulate it, not in cubes, but in you know, form. And mm-hmm. uh, P- Plato would probably be pr- proud of that as well. Uh, so I go, I go into uh, uh, different uh, communities and, and, and um, help people or try and help people or learn from them on presuppositionalism and seeing where the, the arguments are. And I always try and uh, uh, had new believers or uh, new, new people who are just discovering presuppositionalism with, with books. And either someone beats me to it or, or I can get in there under the wire and recommend your ultimate proof of creation and say, you know, while it is a creation book, it's a it's an excellent foundational book that that you can pick up that that pretty much anyone can. And, uh, you know, you have your traditional uh, uh, comics in there that are that are really fun. And uh, some of them look like, uh, you know, uh, I'm not going to say Hugh Ross, but, you know, they're sometimes <laughs> they, they look Hugh Rossian. A little bit. Yes. <laughs> so uh, d- did you realize kind of the impact that your book has? And uh, again, maybe I'm, I have confirmational bias here where, uh, you know, you, you're looking for a pattern and you see it. But um, I, I, I see I see your books in, in church libraries and, and being recommended. Uh, it, you kind of are helping to uh, respond to uh, kind of a layman's uh, um, awakening that um, that people like uh, um, th- that are just uh, that are just now finding out uh, kind of about it like like I did. Well, praise God, if that's the case, I, I have had a number of people come to me and they said, you know, be, you know, read your book and it really helped us out. I've had a few people that said, you know, I used to be an atheist. I read your book. The Lord used it to save me. Praise God for that. My, my goal was was what you were saying, is to get this information out to laymen, uh, to show them that, that they can be bold uh, in, in a humble way. They can be bold about right. their faith because it is the only rational, defensible position. So praise God if that's if that's happening, and let's, <laughs> let's pray that it continues to happen. Uh, there, there's kind of a stigma with, with Calvinism that uh, uh, Dr. White, I think, uh, has coined as a cage stage Calvinism. Do you think uh, cage stage uh, presuppositionalism was just uh, shouting at people, by what standard? Oh, yeah, I've heard, <laughs> I've heard people say that. And, you know, it's, I, I have to point out that all of us, whatever camp we're in, we all have our embarrassing advocates. We all have those people that advocate our position but do so poorly in, or in a way that's obnoxious. And, and of course, I, that's, I, I don't I don't recommend that. Um, I would say that somebody who is an apologist who really understands the Christian position, there is no room for arrogance in apologetics because we are saved by God's grace. The, and so when I'm looking at somebody and that person is on his way to hell and he's as confused as all get out and his thinking is ridiculous, I, I have to think to myself, unless God had saved me, that's exactly the situation that I'd be in. Right. And it's only because of God's grace that I'm in this position and he's in that position. 
And my, my heartfelt goal is, is for him to come out of that position and to be saved. So the, the attitude that we should have as apologists is not the cage stage attitude, but an attitude of humility where, where look, I, I, I'm a sinner and, and God saved me and I want him to save you too. And here, you know, I, I've found the, what's, what's the old say, you know, I'm just a beggar that found some bread and I want to share it. And that's the attitude we ought to have mm-hmm. as, as Christians. Uh, so uh, so I say no to those who want to say, well, just, you know, just shouting by what standard. Well, that's not, that's not the presuppositional approach. Uh, it is true that most people are totally oblivious to the standard by which they judge things. Everybody has oh, a standard absolutely. by which they judge things. Most people are totally, totally oblivious to their own. They haven't given it a moment's thought and they don't realize that their standard is irrational. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's why presuppositionalists are sort of a straw man as to saying by what by what standard? Well, we do want you to think about your standard, the standard by which you reason, and is that standard itself defensible? And I would argue that only the Christian standard is. But I do think that takes a little bit more explanation than just some of these little quick one-liner, well, by what standard? Well, you need to explain it. You need to say, sit back and say, well, wait a minute, to be rational, you have to have good reasons for what you believe. What are the reasons for your standard of interpreting mm-hmm. things? And, and that takes a little bit of time. Yeah. And I think you do a, a great job in the book by by offering a uh, uh, kind of a, um, a, a both a scriptural and a logical approach of approaching those types of arguments. You, you term it the don't answer answer, which mm-hmm. uh, uh, comes from our um, good friends in Proverbs. And mm-hmm. it talks about how. Yes, you you uh, make them look at their own worldview and see the implications of it, and then you always kind of answer them and present them almost always a gospel presentation or something that that does point back to God. It's not just to attack their position, and that's what I like about presuppositionalism too. Is that um, it? When we see these debates, and and it's it you know d- d- debates have to be formed in a certain way where you have your your um, charge to to. Um, speak against but it also the, the presupposition gives you the ability to to turn it on them and say well hold on you're asking me this now you can't just attack me let's bring your side into it and can you offer a a, a rational worldview defense that encompasses everything i think uh, nancy Piercy calls putting everything in the box and things that don't belong uh, that th- things that leak outside the box are uh, you know inconsistencies and if your worldview has inconsistencies there's your your failed argument and your failed worldview um is is that kind of your approach that you usually do take yeah, I present the Christian worldview and I critique the non-Christian worldview. It's really that simple. And I try to help the unbeliever understand that unless he's a Christian, he can't be consistently rational. And we all have built in our heart by God a desire to be rational and uh, because that's that's the way God made us to be. We're to pattern our thinking after God. Uh, most people don't, you know, run around just thinking, well, I can be irrational and I can, I can run out <laughs> in the middle of the road without looking both ways and I'll be fine. Uh, most people understand that there are consequences for their beliefs, and so my my goal is to help people understand the consequences of their way of thinking. If their way of thinking isn't uh, Christian, their way of thinking will inevitably lead them to hell, and so that's that's my goal. Mm-hmm. And and it always I always bring the gospel into it in one way or another. You can't do everything at once. It may not be in the first sentence, you know, but at some point I'm I'm pointing out that the answer to all of their intellectual problems is Jesus ultimately. It's only if he saves them or generates their heart that they can think rationally. Mm-hmm. Uh, people think, well, you know, to be religious, you, you, you need God's help to, to think in a way that's non-rational. No, you need, God help. you need God's help to think rationally. Right. That's the problem. Because yeah. of our sin nature, 
we distort truth. We, we can't help it. We do it instinctively um, because we don't want the truth. We don't want a God who's rightly angry at us for our sin. And so my, my goal is to, um, to basically expose the unbelievers suppressed knowledge of God. That's my goal to get them to see that they know in their heart of hearts that what I'm saying to them about the gospel is true. They already, some of that's already in there. It's built in by God himself. They know God. They've rebelled against him. And I want to encourage them to repent and to trust in God. And, of course, they can't even do that without God's help. But I can at least point that out to them. So uh, present the gospel, basically. Critique the non-Christian worldview and present the Christian worldview. Invite the unbeliever to stand on the Christian worldview to repent and trust in Jesus. And whether they do or not, it's not up to me. It's up to God. Um, my, my goal is just to make the argument, to make an irrefutable argument for the Christian worldview. Mm-hmm. Now, if if God can use classical arguments and, and fine-tuning design and, you know, the Kalam argument and even weak gospel presentations, uh, why should we encourage people, especially believers, uh, to use presuppositional apologetics as kind of their, their main one? Not saying that evidence, uh, you know, John Frame talks about uh, kind of a, a different type of uh, kind of compatibilism of first you have your, your worldview and then you, you are able to bring in your your brute facts um you know why why should we encourage presuppositional apologetics as kind of the the one to do rather than kind of the the classical arguments there's a few reasons well and first of all i have to point out that you know there's this misconception that if you're presuppositional you don't use evidence that's ridiculous yeah um and of course i'm a scientist so i tend to (laughs) i tend to bring a lot of evidence into into the arguments that i use with uh with my non-believing friends um but if the question is how you do it, do you use the evidence in a way that's consistent with the presuppositional method or in a way that's consistent with these other methods? And I would argue that we should be presuppositional. Can God use uh, an argument that's non-presuppositional? Yes. Can God use a bad argument? Yes. Should we therefore continue to use bad arguments? No. <laughs> shall, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? No, of course right. not. Yes. Um, we should use good arguments. There, why should we use good arguments when God can use a bad argument? Because it's honoring to God when we use good arguments, first of all. Uh, a bad argument, if it's exposed as a bad argument, then it makes it even harder. Let's, let's suppose I'm, I'm, I'm witnessing to someone. I use a bad argument. Somebody else is listening. They know it's a bad argument. Whether this person converts or not, this other person has now been hardened against Christianity because he says, well, these Christians, they're not good thinkers. That's what he's learned. So when you use when you use bad arguments, and, and I would argue that the presuppositionalism or methods that are anti-presuppositional ultimately are bad arguments, hmm. and I know that's going to bother some people, but I stand by that. Yeah. Um, and so why shouldn't we use bad arguments? It's not honoring to the Lord. It tends to harden people to Christianity rather than being winsome. And I would argue that uh, it's anti-scriptural. The Bible actually does tell us. It, the Bible gives us some instructions on how to defend it. It does. A lot of people don't realize that. They think, well, I can I can defend the Bible any way I want to. And then once people are saved, then they have to bow the knee to God. No, we need to bow the knee to Christ while we're making the argument. And so some of the some of these other methods, basically, what in my opinion, what makes them wrong is that they invite the unbeliever to put God to the test. God in the dock. Yeah. yeah. They say, you, you, Mr. Unbeliever, you can be the judge. You test God and he'll pass your tests as if God is a dog who needs to jump through your hoops and then, you know, if he accepts your standard, then then you can then you can bow to him. That is that is not honoring to God. God is the king of kings. He doesn't jump through your hoops. He doesn't submit to your standard. You submit to his. 
That's that's what it comes down to. Right. And a lot of people think, oh, but that's offensive to the unbeliever. <laughs> yes, it is, <laughs> but it's also true. That's what the gospel is. That's the is, nature yeah. of the situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the fact is, it's the unbeliever who's on trial, not God. It's the unbeliever who will be judged on Judgment Day. Mm-hmm. And so I don't believe that we should use a method that is dishonest, that falsely says to the unbeliever, you are the judge, when we know in our heart the unbeliever is not the judge, that says to the unbeliever, oh, your mind is more than sufficient to judge God, when we know in our hearts that's not the case. I think we should be honest from the beginning, polite, you know, obviously full of grace, but we need to say to the unbeliever, you're, you're in a, you don't realize you're in a dreadful situation. You, you're, you're in a position where God is sustaining your existence, but he's angry at you because you've sinned against him. You've sinned against him in your thoughts, the way that you think, the way that you behave, and you need to repent. And if you do that, he'll be willing to forgive your sins and, and you can be brought into a right, right relationship with him. So I think we need to be honest in the way that we defend the faith. The way that we defend the faith needs to be faithful to the faith. <laughs> Makes sense. Great answer. Thank you. Um, so then, w- w- would your understanding be that apologetics is uh, only for unbelievers, or do you think that when Peter tells us to always be ready, that he doesn't just have these, uh, you know, um, sitting before the uh, Mars Hill and and calling? Um, um, people's worldview into to consideration and, and ultimate repentance. Do you think it is uh, also for uh, believers as well, or do you think it's mostly like uh, uh, an added benefit to it? Well, I, the specific context of Peter's passage is Christian persecution, but, but nonetheless, I think that uh, apologetics uh, is also helpful. The methods that we use, the apologetic methods that we use, can, can be used to help Christians who are not thinking in a Christian way. To help to help them to become uh, more Christian in their thinking, so um, I, so I would use it on Christians too. I would use it on Christians who have an, a non-biblical position on something. They're saved, they've trusted in Jesus, praise God, but they they don't have a correct belief on some other aspect of the Scripture. I use exactly the same approach to try to reach them as I would use to try to reach the unbeliever. Mm-hmm. Um, the, spe- the specific details might differ because a person who is already saved, I I know I don't have to um, necessarily defend the inerrancy of the scriptures. I can say, well, you know the Bible's the word of God. And here's So I might immediately go to scriptures, whereas with an unbeliever, I might say, no, the scriptures say this, but let me show you why you need to trust the scriptures. The details will differ, mm-hmm. but the basic approach I use is the same. Right. And that occurred to me. I, I wrote a book called Understanding Genesis, and what it really is, and I, I didn't give it this name because people would run away screaming, but it's really presuppositional hermeneutics. That's what it is. <laughs> Because I'm showing you that there really is only one way to interpret the Bible, the way the Bible tells us to interpret it. Mm-hmm. And uh, people say, well, that's circular. Well, we can we can talk about circularity. There's a, there's a can of worms right there. Yes, Not absolutely. all circular reasoning is, is fallacious. But in any case, the Bible does give us some instructions on how to interpret it. And I would argue that we can know the correct interpretation of the Bible from the impossibility of the contrary. And so that's what that book is all about. It's, a, it's helping Christians and then I apply it specifically to Genesis because Christians have all kinds of divergent beliefs on Genesis, and they shouldn't. Genesis is very clear, at least in the main you know, teaching. There are difficult sections of the Bible, but Genesis really isn't one of them in terms of its main teaching. Uh, and so the, the question is, can we know what God meant when he said that in six days he created the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all that's in them? And the answer is yes, we can. We can know that. And that's what that book is all about. It's using the same method, but it's geared more toward Christians who are confused about about Genesis and maybe some other issues that follow logically from that. Yeah. So yeah, I use the same method. Yeah, I, I think it's it's a great resource to have an in-house conversation about 
our theology and implications of it and again uh, what what fits inside the box and you know people always say oh you're just putting god inside the box well no god has revealed himself uh to us through through the scriptures and we're we're finding him out that's what the theology is theos means god theology means study of we want to study god and so uh you know if if we're talking about you know god's just uh you know a, a try it try jesus out uh you know it, it does is that what the, the the bible has for us or does he say does he call us to repent and, and believe and uh repentance is, is is a big key of jesus message there too mm-hmm. um now now another book that uh, that you wrote that uh, we did on our show and we didn't go through as many as you did we 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 pulled out a few and and talked about it either ones that um spoke to us uh, personally in in our walk or um that uh, that we thought were were going to be uh, really excellent uh, to to expand upon what is your keeping faith in the age of reason and uh what, what was what was the the uh the catalyst for, for this was were you just sitting down uh, for your uh well you don't do feedback fridays anymore but i always enjoyed feedback fridays on on oh, aig yeah. um but yeah. in, in your bu- book ultimate proof of creation uh, uh has has letters to the editor in there as well that uh that i think are there so you, you took this kind of big huge chart of alleged you know skeptics annotated uh bible difficulties and you said uh, are these contradictions, and and what do we do with them? So, what what was the catalyst for for that book? Yeah, it was it was an internet list. Well, backing up, there there was a, a project that had been done by by Christians where they showed a visual reference of all cross references in the Bible, or at least all that they could find. It was beautiful. It was masterfully mm-hmm. done. And then some skeptic took a section of that and said, "Well, we think these cross references are contradictory." And so they took a small fraction of those and they made another chart. And it and they and, and they had a list of 400 and some uh, over 400 alleged Bible contradictions. Some of them were some of them they duplicated. They hadn't edited it very well. <laughs> but um, I I said okay, um, I'm going to call your bluff. I'm going to go through and examine each one of those because they they would pass this around on the internet. Right. And you know Christians who are perhaps looking at it will think well you know maybe they maybe they didn't get them all but boy over 400 surely a few of those have to be right. <laughs> And I thought, well, I'm going to call your bluff. And I went through and, and examined each one of them. Not one of them is a legitimate contradiction. Uh, most of them, they just, the vast majority of them, they had simply not read the text carefully. If they had read the text carefully, had given the author the benefit of the doubt, which is what you do when you read a book, uh, then they would not have concluded the contradiction. There were some where they don't, they clearly don't know what a contradiction is. Uh, a contradiction is A and not A at the same time in the same sense. You know, some city names can change over time. Uh, the, yeah, lots of things can change over time, or some cities can have more than one name. And they say, "Well, it's here it's called this, and here it's called that." Well, yeah, that's because <laughs> you know, Mount Sinai or Mount Moreb, or well, yeah, certain locations can have more than one name. And so, uh, most of the contradictions were that nature. There were a few. There were a handful where I had uh, to go back few. to the yes. original <laughs> language yeah. and and check because most of us can't read the Bible in the original Hebrew and Greek. We read an English translation. And sometimes it's not been translated perfectly. So there have been a few. There were a few where I had to go back and check, but very few. Right. Very, uh, most of them, few. if you just read the text carefully, yeah. you'd see that they are non-contradictory. So that's my response to that that internet list. Yeah. And it still floats around. And I just post my I just post my book as a response. <laughs> that's right. Oh, I'm gonna take this guy down. Oh, okay. I see. Uh, yeah, uh, I think we we said the word bifurcation fallacy uh, a good number of times in in the video as well. That's I think number two for for. Um, kind of what what their issues were um so is your goal then to uh, in this book to answer all bible contradictions completely or do you expect people kind of to use this as a reference guide as a 
as a as a touchstone and say, I don't know what the answer to your question is. I think I have a book that talks about that. Let me go look at it, and then for them to take that and expand upon it with their friend or whatever it might be. Yeah, more more the latter because people can, as you can see that book, none of those were legitimate. People can make up any alleged contradiction. So I can't anticipate. I can't anticipate the infinite number of things that people can come up with, the infinite number of irrationalities people can think of. Uh, but what I did was I said, here, look, here's your best thinkers, and they've come up with this list. Not one of them's legitimate. What does that say about your position? I think that's the goal. That being said, most of the contradictions that that people allege against Scripture, the answers in that book, <laughs> it's it's over 400. And I and I was able to do that because I'm a, I, I'm a fairly concise writer. I tended to give very short answers, except for those that required a longer, I mean, there were a few that required a longer one, and a lot of them were similar Mm -hmm. to another one. So I'd say, you know, this, this is a bifurcation fallacy, C number 13 or whatever, and it would reference back to a previous one. So you get more details. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, it's not meant to be exhaustive, but it's pretty close to to, uh, at least those that, uh, that most people commit. Yeah, I, I think we were we were doing a book, uh, not on this show, but uh, we were doing it together. Uh, and Peter Enns was talking about how uh, you can only trust the resurrection uh, portions of, of the Bible because those lead to uh, everlasting life, which uh, seems odd for Peter Enns to talk about. And he's very vague on it. But he, he, he brought up uh, a, a contradiction like saying the walls of Jericho fell and uh, applying it to, to uh, you know, current uh, understandings of, you know, here's this uh, Babylonian pottery. And then you go back and, and you actually look at the, the pictures and people who who critiqued the the um, kind of the original um, understanding of, well, it couldn't have fallen at this time. It, you know, it didn't have the pottery. And if you just look at the pictures and you're like, well, there are walls there and they had fallen. In fact, there are some of them that still look like they have scorch marks on them as well. Mm-hmm. It's it's one of those things where you know you can't always anticipate um, every alleged uh, Bible contradiction. But I, I I thought this was an excellent resource uh, uh, guide that if if we needed to go back to and I could say oh you know I I think I've heard that one before and uh, you know you'll 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 provide uh, scriptural support or um, you know. Uh, the logical breakdown as, as you did, which uh, is, is usually very helpful because I don't think a lot of us, unless if we get into college and, and have a desire for philosophy, um, uh, kind of um, have had logic in, in our life. We, we think, oh, I'm thinking logical, but <laughs> not many of us uh, actually mean what, what we're saying in that. So, uh, that's one of the things that I appreciate about your book. So, then, it, uh, if, if you just have a... a, a a person who uh, is a good good Christian w- wanting to um, help their friend, and uh, you know they're 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 not out there to, to pick fights. What what do you think are kind of the general guidelines of approaching just any type of either alleged Bible contradiction or or um, any objection that they have to Bible, the problem of evil, or you know uh, uh, veins and giraffes neck uh, being twisted one way or the other, which uh, Dawkins seems to to really be harping on for showing that God doesn't exist. What, 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 what do you think the kind of the general guidelines, do you, do you break things down logically? Do you, do you, you know, what, 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 what would you suggest, uh, are, is, is a general approach? You know, I don't have a, um, I don't have a formula really. I, I kind of, uh, I try to feel where the person's at. Um, is this person, so, some people, I can tell that on some level they, they really do want to, they want to be a Christian. And they feel like they can't because 
there's these scientific things that just don't make sense of the Bible. And, and people like that, I, I feel I'm able to help them the most because I can say, well, let's let's talk about some of the specifics of this. I'm a scientist. I'd be happy to talk about some of the details of this. There are other folks that are actively antagonistic to God, and I point that out to them. Hmm. I say, you know, your problem really isn't intellectual at all because I can answer your intellectual issues. That's not the problem. You hate God. That's the problem. And, uh, and I'm not afraid to tell people that. I'm not afraid to say, look, you know, you, <laughs> you don't want to believe in God. That's your issue. And a lot of times, you know what? The funny thing is a lot of times they'll say, well, yeah, that's, that's true. Yeah. They'll actually agree with me. They'll say, that's right. You know, uh, you know and, and then they'll give me their, their story as to, as to why they hate God. And, mm-hmm. and I say, well, you know, what, well, that, that shows you believe in him. You don't hate what you don't believe in. So you right. do, you do know God exists. So, right. and then just kind of talk them through. It's, it's a conversation. It's not a, it's not a sermon. It's a conversation with folks trying to feel out where they're at. What is the stumbling block? What, why is this person, why is this person rejecting the God who can save them? Right. That's, that's kind of what I'm thinking of when I have any conversation with folks. And it just depends. And there's some people that they've hardened their heart, and I don't really feel like I'm going to get anywhere with them. And usually I don't spend a lot of time on those people. The Bible doesn't say that you have to answer everyone. It says you need to be ready to give an answer. And so there's there are situations where it's a, it's a pearls before swine situation where I know I'm not going to make any headway. And the only time I would make an exception and reason with those people if somebody else is if somebody else is watching and they can benefit from it. And I can show that this person is being irrational and absurd because that, that might have a positive influence on someone else who's watching. They'll say, boy, that, that Christian knew what he was talking about. That atheist, I could tell he just had an ax to grind. Uh, but that's the, that's the only time I would do that. So there's a time to engage in a conversation and a time to, to walk away and say, I've, I've got better things to do. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, th- I think even I've changed my approach in, in um, witnessing to people. And um, if, if they're receptive to it, I'll, I'll, uh, Tony and I talk about how the moral argument seems to be kind of the most impactful one because, you know, you can kind of, you know, try to explain away or people aren't as scientifically accurate as uh, or logically accurate as, as, you know, they are to kind of their, their feelings of, of right and wrong. And, you know, obviously Romans uh, uh, talks about that as well of what, why that's the case. And, and so, you know, just pointing them to the fact that, you know, with, without an objective standard to, to point back to, um, it seems difficult to call things good or bad, and and um, it, it's it's been fairly receptive. And I think too, that's one of those things where, uh, you know, you you you're you're called to, to plant, and God provides the the flourishment. And it's only afterwards that I think that I've had people come back to me and go, you know, I was thinking about that, and that's interesting um, uh, when it comes to. Uh, kind of that approach of, well, great. Now, now I, <laughs> I, I can't apply to, uh, you know, uh, Stalin was a really bad guy. Well, okay. Just in your opinion, right? Cause he was doing what was best for, for, uh, you know, uh, um, breaking communism out of the capitalistic swine, uh, uh, uh stranglehold. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been, it's been just absolutely fascinating to kind of being on the journey, especially with Tony and, and struggling with that at times, because uh, as you mentioned too, uh, when, when you talk about the circularity problem, which, which, um, ultimate proof does a really good job of, of pointing to that fact. I, I think it was one of those chapters that I had to read <laughs> a couple times ago. Yeah. I mean, I get what he's saying, but I don't think that's right. And then go back to it and like, yeah, no, I think he's right on this. And, and so we have another conversation on it. So it, it's just been, been, been great to read. 
Um, so, uh, in, in kind of the, the remaining time here, and uh, again, thank you for, for coming on and, and, and showing our, our little show some support. Um, sure. uh, other than, the, of course, the Bible and, and your works, uh, which everyone should, should go to your, your site and buy, uh, what, what do you think some of the most influential books to you have been that, uh, that you'd recommend? They don't have to be strictly apologetic, but you know, if you want to throw some in there too, uh, that, that's all right. Well, anything by Greg Bonson, and the the his best stuff was not in books. His best stuff was his his presentation, his lectures, mm-hmm. uh, and he has a number of those. He has a what one called a mid level course on apologetics. He has uh, there's one that's that's produced by um, American Vision, um, and it's um, I think it's just defending the faith. Uh, it's it's a it's a CD set. There's two of them, two volume CD set. Those are particularly good. And the nice thing about those is the audio quality is superb. A lot of Bonson's um, recordings, the you know, they were cassette mm-hmm. tape. It, it, they, the quality wasn't very good. Yeah. Uh, but the ones by American Vision are superb. Um, tw- it's a twelve. I think it's a twelve CD set, and there's two of them: Volume One, Volume Two. Both of them, they're gold. They're gold. And and um, but any 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 of his presentations are superb uh, for students who want to get a little more advanced. Who have who have the basics down? They say I want to be able to defend the presuppositional method. Bonson has one called Presuppositionalism Stated and Defended, which is uh, superb. That was published uh, posthumously. Yeah, it was. In, it's incomplete. He never finished the third uh, section of it, mm-hmm. but the first two sections are gold. They're yeah. really really well done. Right. Um, anything by Cornelius, Cornelius Van Til. You read Bonson first so that you can understand Van Til. Uh, Van Til's got some good stuff too. He's just harder to read. I think Bonson kind of perfected Van Til. So um, th- those are the main ones. And there's a lot of material out there by Bonson. People say, well, can you recommend anyone else? And I would say, yeah, I'm, there, I'm sure there are others, but he is the best. So yeah. just just go to him. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think we all all derive from you know Van Til to Bonson, and uh, yeah. now w- what we do is we say Lyle Bonson and Van Til after that. So that's the the progression. Okay. So not, not to put your work as a, as a uh, introductory level, but uh, it's it's really is a, a, a great a great presentation that um, you know you, you, it's what the the show hopefully is is doing is is breaking down uh, people's kind of uh, iffiness to well I can't you know I can't do apologetics I don't know you know all the dinosaur fossils or or you know all the cosmological arguments um, but that if if we just work through um, kind of under our understanding of what what is a good way to kind of look at these things and that it's not as scary and and you can find resources that help you out especially now I think way more people um, are discovering presuppositionalism and and writing presuppositionally and um, applying things to uh, other fields like economics is is one I think that's going to um, be a, a great breakthrough um, with Austrian economics and and th- that again is a a field where you look at not really numbers of economics. But the the um, the axioms and and see if if your kind of worldview or your 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 skeletal structure is is sound. So um, I, I think uh, we're going to see even more um, works done by by that, and um, it's it's going to be uh, quite interesting. So again, uh, Doctor Lau, uh, you know I I've, I've sung your praises pretty much to to everyone who has even an inkling of interest. Uh, my very first talk in front of a, a church group for college students, I did two weeks on 
uh, u- utilizing your book and your structure. So uh, I, again, I you know th- this show uh, I, I have guests on, and I just fawn over them because they're the people that I want to talk to, and I can't believe I get to talk to them. So th- thank you for coming out. And um, uh, uh, what what uh, contacts, what links, what plugs do you do you want to to uh, get out there? Uh, if you could check us out on the Biblical Science Institute website, so it's just uh, biblicalscienceinstitute.com. And uh, all of our resources are available there. There's a bunch of free articles on that website. Uh, if you want to support us, there's a link where you can do that. We have a store. If you want to get any of our uh, DVDs or our books, they're all in that store uh, on the website. So biblicalscienceinstitute.com. Great. And again, thank you very much for coming out. And um, um, I'm sure if Tony was, was here, he'd uh, also thank you as well. So thank you from both of us. My pleasure. Thank you. All right.